Welcome to Breaking the Bias. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders from across our industry, shining a light and sharing stories of workplace empowerment. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, CEO at Momentum ITSMA, a global B2B growth consultancy and advisory firm. Welcome to this episode of Breaking the Bias. We all know bias in the workplace is a key barrier to career progression. So today we've invited Delphina Grossi, deal manager at Google, to share her first-hand experience and give us some insight into what she's doing about it. Delphina, welcome. Thank you very much. Excited to be here, Alicia. Really great to have you with us. I know there's so much that you're doing around uh, raising awareness and really driving real change around DNI. I um, would love for you to kick us off with with a bit about who you are and your career so far. Of course, thank you very much. So I was born in Geneva to Argentine parents who have Italian roots. I was therefore raised in a multicultural environment. I then grew up in Belgium, studied in France and Italy, and worked in Latin America. And the UK is actually my seventh country of residence. That is in part explaining my passion and interest for DNI. This uprooted background that I have has definitely fueled my interest in the sense of belonging to start with, and then led me to get involved in diversity and inclusion ever since I joined the workplace, focusing in particular on women and underrepresented groups. So I've been at Google for 10 years, different roles, different regions, and ever since I joined, I've been on partnerships-oriented and commercial functions, but always leading women at oriented initiatives, really focusing on trying to bridge the gap between male and female and other underrepresented groups in the workplace and making them feel and making we feel that not only we belong, but that we are actually set up for success and that we can thrive. Currently, I am leading an initiative called Women at Tech. It's an initiative that I have co-founded with other fellow representatives from tech industries in the UK. And I'm really excited about that as we are joining forces and elevating the conversation to raise the impact of gender equality initiatives at tech industry companies in the UK. Fantastic. Well, great, great to hear about your your career so far. And it sounds like you've had a really diverse um, experience across seven seven countries. Um, talk, talk me through your your own exposure over the last ten years, just reflecting back on your career. You know, where where are we today versus where you started when it comes to women and underrepresented groups in the workplace? Thanks for the question. I would love to answer with positive aspect and dimensions to this. Unfortunately, we are not in a position where we can claim that things have progressed for the better in the past 10 years in our industry. Actually, we are still fairly underrepresented as women, as underrepresented groups. We have many surveys and uh, our demographics data showing how underrepresented we are not only across the board but in particular at the decision making functions and roles levels so i would tend to mitigate this thinking about how the pandemic has further increased those gaps and we have actually taken a few steps 
backwards during this past two to three years. But I am optimistic. I am an optimistic person and believe that we are now back in the workplace, the return to the office with the connections in place. And we have the right networks in place to make sure that we keep on driving this conversation and hopefully get back to where we were at least before the pandemic and then move forward. So if you think about, for example, the tech industry in particular and Google as a company, we only have 25% of managerial positions occupied by women. And that's something that goes across functions. So I'm not only talking about engineering here, but really, if you look at the helicopter view of all our matricial organization, and this is something that we are looking to change. We have a few aspirations and goals in place and programs that are helping us drive this forward and make sure that women's not only representation in these higher up roles, but actually their progression once they have joined the organization is at least possible. And just taking a step back there, Delphine, you're talking about how your experience has been over the last couple of years, certainly talking to your industry peers and, and the rest of your network, that it feels like there's been a, a bit of a step back. What what do you think that's been driven by? I mean, there's you know, clearly everyone's time pressure is different. Do you think the, the conversations just slipped down the radar or, or have there been more material effects given w- women's role in the household and, and all of those other social drivers as well? Definitely a mix of those. What is interesting is looking at how STEM generally isn't top of mind for women. So actually a recent PwC study showed that only 3% of women say that a career in tech is their first choice career. So even when you think about our positioning, the industry's positioning in the women's collective, it's quite underrepresented. It's not top of mind. And the same study said that actually Only 21% of women in the study said they believed that they could thrive in the tech industry. And sadly, that number falls to 8% for women of color. So what's interesting here, it's when you look at not only the gender dimension, but when you look at this intersection, intersectionality, right? You you put ethnicity uh, dimensions, you put age, you put sexual orientation, and it gets worse and worse. Um, So I think it's definitely first a problem when it comes to positioning, where we have an opportunity to double down and to rethink how we position ourselves. The lack of role models as well. This is something that is definitely systemic across industries. This is not only a tech industry problem, but also, as you suggested, the effect of the pandemic and the fact that women had to take on so many different roles as carer, uh, caregivers on top of all the workplace-related pressures, then definitely they felt, we feel as a collective, less optimistic about our career prospects than before the pandemic. And actually that's been suggested by a Deloitte study that showed that actually 51% of women are less optimistic about their career prospects now than before COVID. So I, f- I feel that it's really a mix of things, 
but from positioning to pandemic effect to the sense of belonging and inclusion within the actual system. I think, Delphine, you made a really good point there around um, role models as well. And I think when you're working in a hybrid hybrid world, it's you're not exposed to as many role models and, and to some of the data points that you've quoted there. If there are so few women in senior roles and actually you're not getting exposed to them because your day job doesn't mean you are and you're, you're not bumping into them in the office or networking in a more informal setting, um, I'm sure that has also had a, a lasting effect. It's interesting hearing you talk about uh, women in, in senior roles. So the kind of the context and backdrop that you've described of, you know, very few women wanting to go into tech already having a bias themselves in some ways of not expecting to thrive in that environment and, and such few in senior roles. What, why is it so hard? What's the, you know, we, we've, it feels like we've moved on so much in the, the last 10 years. If you look at innovation and R&D and you know, if you look at Google as a business, that there's been so much change. Why is this particular topic so so hard to to address and make real movement and impact in I think it's challenging because women aren't graduating in STEM subjects so to start with you know from if you look at really early pipeline stages at the education so they may have uh, the capability to enter the tech workforce so we can look beyond you know tech stem specific functions however once they enter the industry that is not their first choice either they actually tend to leave because they feel it's not inclusive and even less so if you are a woman of color or have you know diverse intersection in background that feels you know even less included and where you can thrive even you know less let's say so generally we will say that women do not feel that positive about their future in the industry because not only lack of role models but you see that only 5% of leadership positions in the tech industry are held by women. So when you look at really at the top management, senior management positions in UK businesses, that is at a record high generally, according to a new study, that figure is at 32% right now. However, this is not translating into our particular industry that is at five. So I think that that's why it's so hard really, because it's, again, a very early pipeline positioning, uh, make all these unconscious biases, you know, that we have that are um, results of cultural, social legacy, really, where we are conditioned by our gender to behave a certain way, to consume certain subjects. We are encouraged to act and to choose certain activities, aren't we? And I think it's really from a, from a very young age. So I, I would really very much encourage everyone who's listening to think about how we might be able to break those biases from the very young age. Uh, it's our responsibility for our future generations. Yeah, no, really, really good point and something that um, I know, know many advocates and, and champions in the DNI space are bringing up children that are, are very different uh, compared to uh, perhaps previous generations. Talk, talk me through your own experience, Delphina. How, how have you personally 
overcome bias? You know, what what are some of the really, if we get really pragmatic, what are some of the things that that work for you being in this, you know, heavily male dominated environment? You've talked about, you know, career progression within these sorts of organisations. You know, Google are very forward thinking business. What's it been like for you personally? So for me personally, I have always tried to connect to my inner purpose and build authentic and meaningful connections. It's difficult sometimes to find and even define your own leadership style when all your references are male. And I have found that we as women, and I'm talking from my cisgender position here, uh, but acknowledge that we have, you know, more than just the obvious, very, I would say, binary way of looking at gender um, breakdown. I would say that acknowledging those differences and even recognizing that we through our authenticity, our empathy, our consideration, our mutuality, our cooperation, nature, communication can bring so much value to the business in ways that are actually contributing to the overall business, right? So that's something that we look at a lot at Google. Diversity and inclusion is obviously very trendy at the moment, but it's actually not only the right thing to do from an ethics standpoint and from a reputational standpoint. It's actually something that is essential if you want your business to thrive. How can we pretend to be solving for world problems if we are not having a representative team? Right. If you look at the population, we represent 50% of the population, yet only 5% of us are part of the ones that make the decisions in terms of what products are shaping our day-to-day lives, right? And this is something that to me has been, when I, when I think about how I personally have um, behaved in, in this industry, I have always tried to stay authentic so not mirroring you know a a style that didn't fit me Uh, but also acknowledging that it is sometimes hard in this industry to talk about our accomplishments and even to thrive and that's where we have programs such as I Am Remarkable, for example, that I'm facilitating that are allowing to have those conversations. And I think that that has personally helped me a lot in my own career to become a facilitator and find my own voice and trust my inner voice um, thanks to those exercises and, and that practice. Because obviously, we talked about norms that shape us as women. We talk about cultural and gender modesty norms. We talk a lot about the imposter syndrome, obviously, that can prevent anyone from acknowledging their remarkable qualities and expressing achievements. We th- Those things don't come necessarily naturally to everyone, and, and even less so uh, to women, because we haven't been conditioned or in, even in, encouraged to pursue those, right? So uh, that's one of the, the aspects. I would say staying authentic 
connecting to my inner purpose, finding my leadership style in a way that feels true to me, to my values, but then actually developing certain skills that allow me to amplify my voice in in this particular context. So I would say a, a mix of things. Yeah, no, you raised some excellent points there. I mean, even speaking personally and reflecting on my my own career, um, I know I spent a big chunk of it mirroring the behavior and and the interactions that lots of the people around me were having and, and they were all you know a particular profile of, of individual. I think actually the sooner you can embrace who you are, the, the, the less stress it puts on you as an individual and the better you end up but I think performing and, and, and really thriving in the workplace. I, I love that you're facilitating I Am Remarkable. Um, you touched on it just there briefly around really talking about accomplishments, giving and equipping people with the tools and techniques to celebrate their own success and, and really um, reflect back back on what they're achieving. How did you get started as a facilitator? Yes, it's a great program that was co-founded by two Googlers. Actually, one of them is still at Google. Anna Weiner is her name. She's part of the marketing team. And I pretty much got involved ever since I joined Google because I have always been passionate about diversity and inclusion, and this program has shown its impact at so many levels. When I took it personally, I found it so powerful that I immediately felt the, you know, the, the urge and uh, the motivation to facilitate it my, myself, even share it with my, in my personal relationships with my siblings, with my sisters, with friends, uh, because I realized how much we struggle really when it comes to talk about our own achievements, always diminishing them, um, everything tainted, you know, by those modesty norms, even worse in Latin America, but really thinking about um, the impact that a 90-minute workshop can have, the impact that initiating this conversation can have in the lives of so many. So really grateful to have this conversation with you today because I feel that that's exactly how change starts. You first have to look at the issue, recognize that we have something that constitutes a potential barrier and is detrimental to a collective and think about ways whereby we might be able to mitigate that. Um, obviously, we can't claim that after one workshop, um, we can definitely change behavior at scale. But what we have observed, and that's also why I got involved, is because really after taking it, 80% of the participants feel more confident um, and 89% are more active in self-promotion. So it's really a good kind of reminder to self to take some time to think about all the things that you have achieved as as a person um, and celebrate it find a way in which that feels comfortable that might might not always be through um I mean, orally it could be also in written form uh, but in a nutshell it's really um, the invitation to not only to reflect and, and learn about the importance of self-promotion, but also actually develop that skill. So it's, it's, we do have a practical, practical, you know, one too many, um, yeah. workshop exercise, but ultimately it's, 
it's the beginning and the message is let's keep on flexing that muscle got it and as if i leave this recording and i want to really flex that uh, muscle and, and live and breathe the i am remarkable um activities and some of those hands-on sessions that you're talking about what what should i be doing should i be just capturing and, and and talking about some of the things i have achieved um what what what's your general advice in these workshops Definitely. So first we cover theory, we show why and how it's important. So that's why not only women, uh, it's not exclusive to women. That's what I mean. We are, you know, this is a workshop that is um, open to all. Obviously, it was developed with women in mind, but then we discovered that it was pretty much applicable to uh, all underrepresented groups and even um, across the spectrum of diversity, right? If you think about introverts, for example, or people that do not feel comfortable speaking up generally, that could be beyond gender. So we invite anyone and everyone to attend. So those workshops are for free. That's the beauty of it. You can Google I am remarkable and, and you'll find it. But generally, when you, to answer your question, when we think about exercises, what we encourage everyone to do is really to take a moment and, and close your eyes and take a deep breath and reflect on what are all the things that make you remarkable in a non-judgmental way. And that's the the difficult part because we have to quiet that inner critique voice and <laughs> and say yes this is actually remarkable and you focus on achievements right not on characteristics so things that you have actually so for example you launching this podcast right you you know hosting all this conversation and the impact that you're having on the lives on of so many people that are listening to you right so that that could be one and the idea is for you to embrace that and to maybe focus as well on micro achievements right it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a career move a promotion buying a house you know these things that we typically celebrate in our holistic society but it could be really those micro little things that make you proud of who you are so a few exercises that we can suggest is first keep a log of, of everything that you have achieved so you can do that on a weekly basis uh, I'm sure some of you are uh, keeping a diary uh, it could be some bullets but really keep a log because we tend to do so much and sometimes we yeah we dismiss right we say oh this is obviously uh, to get to get here I had to do so many things but we kind of normalize um, the, the heavy lifting, let's say. Um, so really important to keep a log. Um, then if you if you like, you can found, you know, um, a community. It could be, um, yes, your friend. It could be yeah, if you have um, a manager whom you trust, uh, but really keep... Um, to pick a date, uh, it could be Wednesdays, for example, or Thursdays, uh, and say, oh, I'm going to actually use this one-to-one -one moment to share an achievement that I'm proud of and, and kind of practice in, in that matter and, and get feedback as well. And another one is, uh, you know, harder probably, but is, you know, uh, looking at the mirror and um, speaking to yourself, uh, recording yourself on your phone, really ensuring that you're... Uh, getting that time and ultimately improving that self-promotion motivation to start with uh, and then hopefully along that journey challenge the social perception around it as well. 
And I know, Delphine, you also uh, founded Women at Tech and you've got some um, big organizations like Cisco, um, Google themselves, obviously McKinsey, Salesforce, um, and, and that community is growing and you're using that really as a platform to share insights and, and experiences to create a, a more gender balanced uh, workplace. What, what was the trigger for you saying, yes, I've got to start this? What was What was missing? So I think that what was missing was maybe to have an actual cadence uh, and connection across those companies from the industry. We obviously are all very busy. We have our day jobs, we have our passions, we have everything going on at the same time. And we more often than not tend to stay in silos, even within our own organizations. And to me, we have such massive opportunity really to join forces, work together, connect, share best practices, but ultimately collaborate to impact and to amplify our voices and to drive change, right? That's what we're here for. Um, so when I met some women from Facebook, now Meta, um, Cisco and Colt and Salesforce, that was before the pandemic in 2019, we first had a roundtable and we shared what we're doing, how we're operating our internal employee resource groups that are basically our kind of NGOs focusing on, you know, particular communities. In our case, it was around women and uh, women representation. And we realized that we had the opportunity really to come together and achieve something, something for the greater good. If we align on joint goals, if we connect, if we share insights. So that's why I felt the urge to uh, do something uh, about it. And together with amazing women from Amazon, BT, Colt, uh, then Cisco, Meta, McKinsey, Salesforce, now Samsung joined us, Uber joined us, and we, we're growing. We are getting together on a monthly basis. We are focusing on driving these diversity benefits, but also allyship by connecting women working in the tech industry. So first we connect uh, and we hopefully amplify our voices to make sure that we are heard, but also that we feel that we can belong, that we belong, not that we can belong, that we belong, but that we can thrive as well. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's exactly why, why it started. And we had a strategy revamp actually a few weeks ago and we have a clearer purpose now, which I'm happy to share, that is actually to create an inclusive and supporting community of women uh, working in tech. So to us, the sense of community is absolutely essential. But when we think about where we want to be, so what our vision is, is to be the network that improves women's progression and representation in the industry through strong and meaningful cross-organizations connections. There's so much, so much that we can do across organizations. And I tend to always prioritize partnerships. And I'm very excited about what we can achieve. 
Fantastic. I can hear that you, you're very collaborative in spirit. And I know as a collective uh, community that, that you're going to go on to, to achieve huge gains. And, and, and you've talked a, a bit about I'm Remarkable. We've talked a little bit about women and, at tech. Um, if we could just shift gears in and talk about your day job, you know, how are you championing diversity and inclusion? How are you creating a, a more equitable workforce in, in your day job? Sure. In my day job, I actually drive cross-product area partnerships within Google. So as you may imagine, we are such a massive organization that has different business units. And my role is to build bridges between those different product areas to help given partners transform digitally. So that's in a nutshell what I do. And how I am hoping to move the needle when it comes to diversity and inclusion in my day job is to first walk the talk. So as much as I can, try to be mindful of how I behave, how I engage on partner client meetings, even internal meetings. We have a lot of due diligence, negotiations, rounds internally. So always going back to what are my values? How do I want to come across? Am I being inclusive? Um, How might I help other women? We have so many mentoring programs at Google through our employee resource group, so Women At. Um, I have taken part of one myself, which is really powerful, as I think it's a a win-win, you know, and I believe that the person taking, you know, the mentor role is also getting so much benefit from it. It's We talk about the reverse mentoring effect, right? And uh, I feel that it's so powerful for, you know, um, typically male that are in the the highest positions in our organizations to get exposure to what our um, you know potential struggles can be as we expose generally so I believe that I am trying as much as I can to amplify the voices where uh, whenever I feel that one of my colleagues is in need be be there you know, be present, listen, and ultimately express concern and whenever there is the need for it, right? So, but in in, in the day-to-day basis, I would say it's it's really driving those partnerships from um, an inclusive standpoint and also encouraging my our clients, partners, and internal collaborators to talk about diversity and inclusion whenever I can I share what I do we luckily have an open culture uh, whereby we're invited to have this discussion so we have actually a monthly diversity and inclusion discussion as well in on the team so really embracing this learning and learning mindset but exchanging as well so reflecting on what we did well, how it could have gone better, and 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 breaking it down and um, keeping an open dialogue. So that's that's how I'm I'm hoping to contribute as well in uh, from the business side. 
So definitely walking the walk. And um, Delphine, I imagine in your role as um, deal manager at Google, you're, you're having to negotiate a fair bit with your partners and uh, many of your internal business units. And I saw that you were recently talking about how negotiation skills don't come naturally to women. What would your advice be? How can women be more effective when it comes to negotiating? Yeah, thanks for that question. It's actually so important to talk about this as, again, talking about all those cultural norms that have shaped the way we behave at home, at work. Negotiation is absolutely essential. We negotiate all the time, all the time, uh, sometimes unconsciously as well. We negotiate with ourselves. <laughs> we, ne we negotiate at work, of course, for opportunities, for promotions uh, and as you said in my core role for instance in particular deal pursuits and we often tend to find those moments pretty daunting or we go into it in a in a defensive in a defensive manner so we have hosted Dr. Rushi Sina who's um, actually a PhD she's an organizational psychologist And she has shared with us amazing research that has found how we as women are most likely to accept the first offer that we are presented with and prioritize being agreeable, you know, protecting relationships over pushing for what we deserve. And that's why um, there are amazing data points showing that You know, when you read a job description, that moment where you're going through all the bullet points and you say, oh, no, I don't tick that particular box, so I'm not going to apply. That's how typically, um, and again, this is very stereotypical, but there's data showing this. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm sharing uh, that basically women through that study felt and actually only applied felt that they could apply only if they met 100% of the criteria, of the requirements. Whereas male, guess how much? I, I've, seen a, I've seen a study on this and I, th I want to say it's, you know, if they meet 60% of it, they, they'll apply um, compared to women who feel like they have to meet 100%. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, it's 65%, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, It's a quite, it's a massive difference. Quite stark, isn't it? Is, yeah, isn't it? very stark. So yeah, so thinking about negotiations, she has shared with us a few tips uh, for being successful in negotiations, and you know some of them are pretty common sense. Others really blew my mind. Others are more from a you know organizational um, behavioral research um, you know concepts such as you know defining the, a zone of possible agreement and so on. But the one that really um, I would say stuck with me is around being aware of our gender triggers. So our own triggers but also the the receiving end so the person you're negotiating with so one of the things that she alluded to is the fact that women are typically expected to uh, again not come across as you know aggressive be nice be agreeable you know being being caring protecting those relationships right so what she said to us is that 
you can be nice, but still ask for what you deserve. So one of the things is, sure, use that gender bias, surf that, you know, being gentle, but still pass on the message, you know. So sometimes it's important to um, acknowledge that we are not necessarily all completely biased when it comes to genders, but biases are not necessarily a bad thing, right? That's why I, I like to think about that uh, when I think about the bias and their role in our day-to-day -day lives. Biases are here and we all have them because they help us make decisions on a day-to-day on -day life. Our responsibility is to become aware of those biases that we have, that we all have. I have biases, you have biases, we have biases. Uh, but then what do we make of them, right? Uh, and that's yeah. that's pretty empowering. So that's why I'm sharing um, that particular tip. And then another thing is on the advocacy effect, again, thinking about another gender bias that we as women always tend to be prioritizing others' needs before ours. And therefore, we tend to sometimes be better when we are negotiating for others as opposed to ourselves. So remember that when you are negotiating something for you, think about a pay rise, you're actually indirectly also helping others, right? Because you're helping your team grow, you're helping your family, if, if you're talking about something that has monetary value attached to it. So I think it's a good, good, you know, perspective as well to think about how you are practicing that advocacy effect generally, and how we might be able to do that a bit more for for our our own benefit. I think there's some a couple of really great tips there that I can see the impact of putting those in, into effect. And Delphina, just to um, bring bring us to a close, I know you and I could talk about this topic for several hours. What what's the um, best piece of advice someone has given you? You've been very open in sharing lots of advice during this this episode, but I'd love to hear what stayed with you. What's really shaped your thinking and approach? To be honest. It's something that I read as opposed to something that someone told me, but it really resonated with me. And it's people won't remember what you told them, but how you made them feel. And that's to me, my belief, really core belief. I sometimes may not have, you know, the most accurate word in the right time, but I believe that energy is everything and we are ultimately all connected through that and that's what we as humans can connect on and therefore always thinking about what is the impact that we're having on each other's lives right especially in challenging times uh, such as these uh, always thinking about how how am I actually making this other person feel through my through my interaction and it could be little things right it could be just saying hello to on to someone on the street right having eye contact with your partner think about that uh, so that's really something that stuck with me and that has helped me not only in my personal life but in my career thinking about how am i coming across but from an authentic manner right we talk a lot about empathy these days but we don't want to force empathy it has to be authentic right 
So again, yeah, how, how are you making others feel? Think about that. Well, you certainly made me feel really encouraged with what you're doing and appreciate you joining us and sharing uh, what you're doing across the whole DNI space and some great advice from, from your day job. Delphine, I'm sure I'm going to bump into you very soon at a I'm Remarkable workshop. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and I'm looking forward to, to seeing you in person soon. Me too. Thanks so much for having me today. Thanks, Delphine. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ITSMA, a leading B2B growth consultancy and advisory firm. We're fortunate to have incredibly diverse talent, both in our business and the clients we work with. And together, we're actively striving to tackle the inclusion gap. You can learn more at MomentumITSMA.com.